Well, good morning. As Matt said a few minutes ago, we are going to start a new study today called Indwell, a study of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to use Romans 8 as our guide over these next several weeks, moving all the way up to Pentecost. So I want to invite you to bring your Bibles and follow along. This morning, I just want to introduce this study, just talk a little bit about what, what we're doing and the first couple of verses of Romans 8. Um, but as we begin, I want you to think just a little bit about the Holy Spirit. So what's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in your life? What, what does he not do? What, just want to give you the opportunity to think for a second about, about the Holy Spirit. I thought it'd be wise if we took a look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and so we put this card together. Hopefully you got one when you came in. If you all uh, grabbed that card, um, if you didn't get one when you, come in, when you came in, you can grab one on your way out. It's just a brief history of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And I want us to read this. I want to read this card for you so you can kind of get a foundation of the Holy Spirit being active from before creation uh, till today on into eternity. And I want to start at the very end of this beautiful love story, uh, the last page of this beautiful love story, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 references the Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life, come. Revelation 22, 17. Today, awareness of the activity of the Holy Spirit is as vital to the church as it has ever been. The Spirit invites us to an infilling, a deep drink of the living water Jesus offers us. So Jesus said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. As we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit today, there will be parties of salvation and joy a few things will get moved around. We'll be filled with the fire of love for others. And we'll be empowered with gifts for the mission of loving the whole world to life in Jesus' name. We learn from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that the Holy Spirit is the breath of God and the original artist bringing beauty from chaos, animating human life, and sustaining all things seen and unseen. The Holy Spirit speaks to people, helps us obey, rushes to a humble heart, and renews us in worship. The Holy Spirit is with us everywhere, leading us to the good life, stirring praise in our spirit, and welcoming us to awakening moments. The Spirit gives us prophetic discernment works through our skills, orchestrates such a time as this moments, and uses God-hearing leaders. The Spirit gives us a heart of flesh, calls us a kingdom of priests, pours out God's presence, and rests on the Messiah. The Holy Spirit empowers the good news that sets the captives free and gives us life. We just gotta stop there for a second. Are you guys with me? Hey, this is nuts. Is this amazing? This, I'm just thinking about this for just, just for my own life. This is amazing. We learn from the New Testament that Jesus was the wind of the Holy Spirit at creation 
and the Spirit gives us the strength to obey, working powerfully through a person aware of the Father's love. The Spirit makes us born again. He is our helper. He reveals Jesus and guides us into all truth. The Spirit glorifies Jesus and reveals to us the depths of God. The Spirit always builds up the body of Christ, empowers us with the Father's love, and teaches us what to say when we need to declare our faith. By the Spirit, we learn how to walk the path of life, experience freedom, gain the fruitful character of Christ, quench our spiritual thirst, and come out of deserts with power. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus's resurrection within us, lavishly given by the Father, showing us the way of love and equipping us for ministry with profound spiritual gifts. The great symphony of spiritual gifts is expressed through the church and gifts are distributed to all, many and abundant, for the building up of the local church. The Holy Spirit strengthens the body through gifted leaders, speaks to us through scriptures, through gifts of wisdom, oh, excuse me, through impressions and intuitions, through gifts of wisdom, and through the body of Christ. The Spirit is a deposit and guarantee of resurrection and the new creation to come, helping us wait in hope, giving us divine perspective, and opening us to the Father's love. We are strengthened inwardly by the Spirit and invited to partner in the healing of the world. The sword of the Spirit is God's word and worship is to flow from us in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit gives us righteousness, peace, and joy, fills the temple of the church, and helps us in our weaknesses. And the Holy Spirit does much, much more. While experiences with the Holy Spirit can't be manufactured, they can be nurtured. So breathe deeply of the Holy Spirit and drink deeply of the living waters Jesus promised. The church of Jesus Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the world. Incredible. Incredible. You and I have access to the Spirit who is always present. He's already present. He's always present. Our call is to be present to that which is already present, the spirit that leads us into a life of peace, to a life of love. I believe that the primary purpose of the spirit's work in our lives is to move us from a transactional relationship with God to a transcendent reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Spirit's role in our lives is to lead. The Spirit's role is to guide, is to direct, to advocate, and to comfort. The Spirit's role is to animate and motivate us as believers. But it is for the purpose of living in this transcendent reality of the gospel. Ultimately, for the disciples, after the resurrection of Christ, it was to become Christ's love. The love made manifest in the gospels. So I want to talk about this for just a moment before we jump into Romans 8. The Spirit comes into our lives and does give us spiritual gifts. But a lot of times that's where we stop. We stop at the spiritual gift part. The Spirit is so much more than what gift he gives each one of us. The spiritual gifts, those are so important. They build up the body. But the Spirit of God is so much more than that. In fact, the Spirit of God is after nothing short of holiness 
Christ-defining, Christ-compelling love for you, in you, and through you. When Jesus is talking about love in the Gospels, it's not that like fuzzy, kind of sentimental, like let me give you a hug kind of love. When Jesus is talking about love in the Gospels, it's so much more than that. He's talking about a supernatural love, a laying your life down kind of love, best demonstrated in his own life, death, and resurrection for the whole world. Now stay with me. I don't want to lose you here, so stay with me. The gospel is the good news, right? The gospel is the good news. And there's lots of way to read the good news, but lately I've been reading the good news sort of, if you will, in two halves. The first half of the gospel and the second half of the gospel. Now just stay with me. Let me illustrate real quick and then I'll explain. John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, first half. 1 John 3.16 kind of points towards the second half. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The first half of the gospel is justification, right? The first half of the gospel is coming to understand that you are loved. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past or where you think you are, you are loved. John 3, 16, you are so loved that God gave everything. That's salvation, that's justification. The first half of my life was trying to figure out and embrace this truth that I'm loved. Yes, me, I'm loved. The second half of the gospel is about living God's perfect love. Living God's perfect love. A love that becomes a burning bush that's on fire but not consumed. A love that's not so much discovered out there as it is, if you will, summoned from in here. A love that is so deep, it's called forth, almost like being, you know the story of Lazarus? Remember the story of Lazarus, where Lazarus is in the grave and he's been there for four days and Jesus says to him, Lazarus, come forth. You remember that story? And man, the dead guy walks out of the tomb. You guys remember that? This new, this sort of second half of my life, I feel it's that sort of calling, being called forth. Craig, rise from the dead and live in this kind of love that I've created you to live in, a love that is willing to lay down anything and everything for the sake of others. We talk about it around here this way. Sometimes we talk about having a profound love for God and a profound love for others. Profound love is the end and the means of the gospel, you and I as transcendent vessels of God expressing his love on earth as it is in heaven. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 8. I want to just give you a quick picture, a quick scriptural picture of the Spirit's work. And I want you to hear what happens to a life that's devoid of the Spirit. So Romans chapter eight, verses one through four, we'll put them up on the screens. And I'd love it if we could all read this, these uh, four verses out loud together. Okay, you guys ready? Out loud, here we go. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Two super important truths, really important. You catch this. The spirit gives life, abundant life, the life that Jesus came to bring. And the spirit defines life. The spirit gives life and the spirit defines life. The world wants to give you a definition of life. The world wants to paint a picture and give you a definition of what life is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to sound like. Maybe your parents gave you a definition of life. Life's supposed to be like this. Or maybe you have your own, you know, got to have enough money, as Matt was talking about the, a little bit ago, scarcity. Maybe your past defines your life. Um, maybe that thing that you wrestle with defines your life. Maybe your relationships defines your life. None of that comes close to having the kind of significance and meaning and purpose that the way the Spirit defines life has for you and for me. The Spirit gives us life and the Spirit defines life. Well, Romans 8 uh, begins with that word, therefore. You guys saw that, Romans 8, verse 1. So it's important for us to know what came before that, that, that thing. So uh, we could go all the way back to Romans 5 or maybe even back to Romans 3 to explain this whole thing, but this is an introduction. So we'll just go back one page to Romans 7. Just back up to Romans 7, just real quick. And slide your finger down to Romans 7, verse 14. I'm gonna read that from the message paraphrase in just a moment. Romans 7 is a picture of life devoid of the Spirit. Romans 7 describes a life filled with utter desperation and total defeat. It's all about the chains of bondage. It's all about being enslaved to sin, the slavery that we were enslaved in the past. In chapter 7, you could count this up later. Your Bible might be written just slightly different, might be translated just slightly different than mine. When I read Romans 7, I counted 45 personal pronouns. I, me, and mine. 45 times it showed up in one chapter. I, me, and mine. Chapter 7 is extremely self-focused and totally self-defined. I, me, mine. It is the epitome of life in the flesh. There are precisely zero references to the Spirit. I just want to read this one passage of Scripture from Romans 7. Uh, these 11 verses. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. It's, isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison... And what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act in another, doing things that I absolutely despise. 
So I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it. It becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. It sounds a lot like my journal sometimes. Those times where it's about I, 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 me, 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 mine, mine. My journal sounds like this when I try and define my life. My journal sounds like this when I let others define my life. This is what happens when we self-protect. This is what happens when we self-soothe. This is what happens when we numb. This is what happens when we choose not to forgive. This is what happens when we run. This is what happens when we throw up our hands and we just go, oh, they're all hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. Ultimately, it ends up that you and I become a slave to sin, a slave to self. Chapter seven is all about the chains of bondage. Chapter Eight is all about those chains breaking. Listen, this isn't in Romans, but I got to say this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Romans 8 contains the greatest concentration of references to the Holy Spirit in the whole New Testament an average of almost one reference in every two verses. The Spirit's power is leading us to heaven-defining freedom that expresses itself through love. That changes the world. Romans 8. Romans 8 is about the benefits of sanctification or the benefits of holiness or the benefits of transformation, if you will, being made available through the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit who indwells the life of every believer. Sanctification, holiness, we, around here we call it transformation, being conformed to the image and character of Christ, the life of Christ, the love of Christ made manifest in the life of every believer, you and me, Look again real quick at Romans 8, the first four verses. 
I just want you to notice a couple of things foundationally. Um, verse one, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the first half, justification, right? That's justification. Now there's no condemnation whatsoever. What Jesus accomplished on our behalf is enough. We can be saved. Uh, verse two, there's no more bondage to sin. We're not slave to sin anymore. Verse three, Christ's death frees us from our debt or our penalty for our sin. Christ pays the penalty. And then verse four, this is huge. Why did Christ do all this? That we might live according to the spirit, according to what the spirit wants to do, if you will, the second half of the gospel. As the spirit leads us, we follow. Uh, let me just say one more thing. This verse one, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, notice what that doesn't say. That doesn't say uh, there is now no mistakes. Uh, there is now no consequences. There is now no failure. There is now no fear. That's not what it says. It says there is now no condemnation. And also notice this. When does this occur? When does this apply? Right now. Not one day, not someday, right now. There is now no condemnation. Right now, in this present moment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles and you're looking at Romans 8, just slide down to the bottom. The last couple of verses, uh, verse 38 and 39. I love these verses. I can't wait uh, for us to talk about these verses. I think we're gonna talk about them on Pentecost Sunday if I have this right. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation. It ends by saying there's no separation. No condemnation, no separation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Listen, not even yourself. You can't separate you from the love of God. You can choose not to live into it. You can choose not to live into anything that I'm talking about today. You can even quench the Holy Spirit. But nothing can separate, nothing condemns us, nothing can separate us. Tim Keller says, there is now, there's no more condemnation left for us. It's all gone. There can never be condemnation for us. There's nothing but acceptance and welcome for us. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free. Then verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life, the Spirit of freedom. The Holy Spirit regenerates our human spirit, places us in the body of Christ, and gives us the life of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ now lives in you. That power to live and to love as a manifestation of Christ is given to every believer, you and me. Is this too much? Like, I, am I wearing you guys out? Like, is this like, wait, what are we talking about? Is this, is this too much? I think sometimes I look around and I think like, you guys are just looking at me like, what's this guy talking about? I'm just giving you a glimpse. This is just this much. God is wanting to give us all of this. He wants us to take in all of this. It's, this is just a glimpse. He wants to lavish us with his love. And then that love translates to loving the world, to loving the people around us. If you're lost or confused, I want you to hear, there's so much more. There's so much more here, so much more.
that the Spirit has for you and for me. Let me just say this last word, and then I'll close. Sometimes in our neighborhood, because our world likes to define us, and our world likes, by the way, to define our spiritual life. They say we have a spiritual life. You keep the spiritual life to yourself, the world says. As if the spiritual life was only a dimension of our lives. And sometimes we believers just sort of, oh, that's my spiritual life. And then I have my sexual life and I have my financial life. Oh, and then I have my private life, which no one knows about. That's not a life in which the spirit defines for you and me. The spirit defines our whole life as spiritual, every bit of it. The heart of the spirit of God is not simply to impact your Sunday life or your prayer life, but your whole life, past, present, and future, in every aspect of your being and doing. The Spirit of God desires to permeate every interaction, every thought, every moment with the love of Jesus Christ as best displayed in his life, death, and resurrection. So what might that look like for you today? What might that look like for you? What might holy love being expressed in your life sound like? What might it feel like? That spirit of God is already here. He's already at work. I think our job is to respond. It's to be present to the spirit who is always already present. It's just to respond to what he's doing. When I was a little kid, we used to sing this song at church. Some of you guys know this. I asked Sonny if he knew this song. I had to look it up in my songbook to make sure that I had the words right. Um, it was chorus number 53. Some of you guys might know this. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. We used to sing this when we were growing up. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me. Melt me. Mold me and fill me. Man, that's, that's a dangerous prayer. I'm not sure that I'm up for that prayer. But then I think about it. I think about my life. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Break me. Melt me. Mold me. Fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I asked Sonny if we could just close this message by just singing that song. And maybe this could be your prayer this morning. Maybe a declaration to fall afresh on you. He's here. He's already here. He's already with us. This might just be your way of saying, I'm here. I'm here. I want to be present to the God who is always and already present. So Sonny will lead us. Uh, may it begin in me. Right here, Jesus. Right now, Jesus. Amen.